You're listening to In Country, a podcast covering Marvel Comics, The Nom. See the tree, how big it's grown, but friend, it hasn't been too long. It wasn't big. I laughed at her and she got mad The first day that she planted it Was just a twig Then the first snow came Hello and welcome to episode 32 of In Country A podcast that is taking a complete look at the Marvel Comics series The Nom I'm your host Tom Panneries And this time around we are in May of 1968 With the Nom number 28 Which means that our song this time around Is from that same month It's Honey by Bobby Goldsboro A song that spent five weeks at number one In the Billboard Hot 100 In April and May of 1968 the song was Goldsboro's only number one hit on the pop charts, although he did have a number of top 40 hits on the Billboard country charts throughout his career. The Borderline was released on November 29, 1988, with a March 1989 cover date, according to Mike's Amazing World. It's brought to us by Doug Murray, writer, Wayne Van Zant, penciler, Jeff Isherwood, inker, Phil Felix, letterer, colorist, Larry Hama, Consulting Editor, Don Daly, Editor, Pat Redding, Managing Editor, and Tom DeFalco, Editor-in-Chief. We open with a map of Vietnam that also shows the neighboring countries of Laos and Cambodia, along with a clearly marked Ho Chi Minh Trail. Crockett briefs the 23rd in their latest mission, which will be Border Patrol, and he warns them under no circumstances are they to cross the border into Cambodia. The guys grumble a little, and I ask what will happen if they are chasing Chuck and he ducks across the border. Crockett reiterates that under no circumstances are they to cross the border into Cambodia. After they leaving the brief- briefing, Roland cr- catches up to Ice and men- introduces him to Lonnie Cruz, an old pal of his and the new platoon sergeant. It turns out he- he's a good friend of Rob Little's, and this breaks the ice, no pun intended, almost right away. When he returns to the hooch, the guys ask him when they're going to get more men, and Ice says that he hasn't heard anything about replacements for Aesop and Rabino, who are elsewhere. But he does mention that Cruz is the new platoon sergeant. As if on cue, Cruz comes in and introduces himself as well as a few more men. There's Mark Callahan from Brooklyn, Dwight Jones, the new medic whom Ice recognizes from his college basketball days at Iowa State, Jim DeMeo, Arlen Miller from Florida, and Lou Martini, who is a retread. He fought in Korea and he's back for more in Vietnam. Daniels wonders aloud if Martini is nuts, but Martini tells him that it beats hanging out in the streets. Cruz notices Ice's shotgun and says that he didn't see that and to make sure that nobody else does. And then he tells the guys that they're headed out at dawn. Ader approaches Ice and introduces him to Cruz as the 23rd's resident expert on comic heroes and Chris Knoll. Ader asks if he can go into the Ville. While Ice doesn't understand why he'd want to go there, Cruz just says let him go as long as he gets back in time. Dawn arrives, and the men of the 23rd move toward the Cambodian border. Ader, who did make it back in time, is sleeping on the chopper. Cruz has figured out that Ader found a girl. He'll snap out of it eventually. They land and head over to a point in the grass where a stone marker denotes the border. There's another reminder of not crossing that line. The rest of the day is uneventful, and later in the hooch, Cruz plays poker with Daniel while Ice reads a magazine and Ader is once again gone. Several hours later, they hat out again and late that night set an ambush a couple of clicks south of the line. 
Ader almost ruins things by falling asleep and crashing into some brush, but it's not ruined and the soldiers get a drop on the passing group of VC. The ambush doesn't go exactly as planned and reinforcements are unavailable, so they have to get out of there as quickly as possible. They start running and try to find a spot where they can regroup and hopefully lure Charlie into a trap. They find one and get ready. A few moments later, the VC that were following them are within sight and the boys finish them off. They head out again, and as it seems, back across the border into South Vietnam and go to find the rest of the convoy that they had busted up. Some time later, they find it and get the order to see what they had found on fire and get out of there, which they do as they head toward their pickup with Ice and Pig, arguing a little bit about whether or not they tell the brass the truth, which is that they did cross the border so they could take out the enemy. This is a really tight issue all around. The cover by Ron Wagner and Andy Kubert show Pig firing his gun while lying in the grass. It's kind of an awkward position to be sitting in while firing the gun, but it works because it's still pretty dynamic. Inside, however, I can't say anything but good stuff. A few issues ago, the 23rd was moved to this area near the Cambodian border, and we haven't seen them do much of anything. Now we're getting their mission, which is Border Patrol, and... Murray does his best to drive home the point about the political intricacies of said mission. It places us in the proper context and also sets up a nice character moment between Ice and Pig. When Pig realizes that the VC were surprised after the 23rd had regrouped because they'd crossed the Cambodian border, he's not very pleased. Ice pretty much replies with, who's going to tell? Them? It's a fair point, but Pig, as we see on the very last panel, is not entirely happy about it. The other character moments are great, too. Ader's constantly falling asleep because he's spending nights out with a girl is, at least at this point, comedic, but it does set the stage for something in a later issue. I'm glad that Cruz is a nice guy because we've already gone through the storyline with the terrible leader, and I like the addition of Martini as a true old-timer because it gives us a different type of character. In fact, this issue is a great way to introduce new characters because the entirety of the situation is new, but it's not forced. Units like the 23rd were moved around all the time in the war, especially when the priorities or objectives of the higher-ups shifted, and reinforcements were always brought in, especially during 1968 when there was no reduction of troops. So for the 23rd to get reassigned to Border Patrol and get a few new guys makes complete logical sense. Murray gives us a few new guys in the span of just a few pages and doesn't feel the need to slow the story down in order to introduce them, trusting the readers and fans to figure out what each of them are like, because this is the way he's done things since issue number one. And that's what I've always loved about this comic. There may have been some stories that are a bit stilted at times or forced in places, but other elements, especially character development, has always been organic. Murray, of course, also has a mandate for action, and he provides it very simply in this issue. There's a routine patrol and a nighttime ambush of some VC, which doesn't in any way seem out of place or out of the ordinary. Plus, Wayne Van Sant, Jeff Isherwood, and Phil Felix get the chance to really have fun with the artwork and show just how good they are with that nighttime ambush. The panels are placed well enough to build the tension that's needed before the action starts. Aiders falling asleep is just enough comic relief, and the urgency of the 23rds having to relocate because something was muffed up is done through dynamic character expressions and a mix of tight and wide shots. Plus, it's colored exceptionally well. For instance, on page 22 is the middle panel. The guys are lying in wait, and Van Zant draws a couple of hills with the soldiers hiding among them. What Felix does is color the hills green and colors the guys in an indigo hue to give us the sense that of, of camouflage and waiting in ambush. 
Then once the action starts again, we're in full color. It's those touches that have kept this title going for this long and that have really made it stand out. The issue is a great return to form for Murray and his regular team, and whereas we have had an issue or two that seemed like we were treading water for a little bit, it lays the groundwork for some great stuff. I'm going to take a little bit of a break, and when I get back, I'm going to discuss historical context, letters, and ads. Yeah, 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 play it. Come on, play it loud. Play it loud. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Illogic. Foolish emotions. A constant irritant. Two on the circus. <laughs> right next to the dog-faced boy. True. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Oh it's a super prize package worth $9,388. Money. This isn't the biggest bag over the head. Punch in the face I ever got. God damn it! Ow! Go away, Peyton. And now, together by live simulation via the internet, your hosts, Scott Gardner. He killed a police officer, for Christ's sake! Yeah, goddamn lucky he didn't kill us. And Chris Honeywell. Keep away! Keep away from me! You are physically repulsive, intellectually retarded, vulgar, insensitive, selfish, stupid. You have no taste, a lousy sense of humor, and you smell. Looking at me? Yeah, because she thought you're some kind of freak. Now come on, let's go. She likes me, eh? No way. Shut up, you freak! Julia, shoot. I said shut up! It's a man out! A man out! TwoTrueFreaks.com I'm trying to place the comic that Ader is reading on page six. It's not fully shown. In fact, all you can see that it's an issue of Tales of Suspense starring Captain America and Iron Man. I checked out Mike's Amazing World, and by May of 68, Captain America had already taken over Tales of Suspense, so I had to go back a few issues, and the only time in the series where Captain America's name appears above Iron Man's is Tales of Suspense 98, which was cover dated February of 68 and came out on November 22nd, 1967. The cover is Cap versus the Panther, and the issues contains two stories. You have Captain America in The Claws of the Panther, which was written by Stan Lee and drawn by Jack Kirby and Joe Sinnott. You also have The Warrior and the Whip, an Iron Man story written by Stan Lee and drawn by Gene Colan and Frank Giacola. I know it's not current as far as May 68 is concerned, but Ader's been there for so long, it's possible that he was rereading comics that he's had in his footlocker for quite a while. Now, it's for May 1968. May 3rd ends the Battle of Dai Do, which is a pretty important defeat at the time for the North Vietnamese Army because this would mark their last attempt to invade the South until about 1972, and they wouldn't fully invade and win until 1975. The nickname of the battalion of Marines who halted the NVA 
advanced is the Magnificent Bastards, and they are led by Lieutenant Colonel William Wise, or Weezy. On May 5th, the VC launches a mini-tet of rocket attacks and other activities through Saigon and South Vietnam. May 10th has two events, one of which is the latest round of Paris peace talks, which does not go well mainly because the United States refuses to withdraw from South Vietnam. The other event is a moment of heroism that earns an American soldier the Congressional Medal of Honor. According to History Place, an NVA battalion attacks a special forces camp at Cam Duc along the border of Laos. The isolated camp had been established in 1963 to monitor North Vietnamese infiltration. Now encircled by NVA, the decision is made to evacuate via C-130 transport planes. At the conclusion of the successful airlift, it is discovered that three U.S. Air Force controllers have accidentally been left behind. Although the camp is now overrun by NVA and two C-130s have already been shot down, Lieutenant Colonel Joe M. Jackson pilots a C-123 provider, lands in the airstrip under intense fire, gathers all three controllers, and takes off. For this, Jackson is awarded the Medal of Honor. Back home on May 17th in Catonsville, Maryland, the Catonsville Nine were arrested when they stole draft records from an Army recruiting office and burned them. The Nine were Father Daniel Berrigan, a Jesuit priest, Philip Berrigan, the former Josephite priest, Brother David Darst, a De La Salle Christian brother, John Hogan, Tom Lewis, an artist, Marjorie Bradford Melville, Thomas Melville, who was a former Marianal priest, George Misha, and Mary Moylan. The nine were put on trial that October. According to Wikipedia, they were found guilty of destruction of U.S. property, destruction of Selective Service files, and interference with the Selective Service Act of 1967. They were also sentenced to a total of 18 years jail time and a fine of $22,000. Several of the nine, Mary Moylan, Phil Berrigan, Dan Berrigan, and George Mitchie, went underground when it came time to show up for prison. In other words, the FBI had to try to find them. Dan Berrigan caused considerable embarrassment to FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover by popping up and giving sermons and then fading back into the underground. There was a pretty sizable protest, and this gave the peace movement a fair amount of credibility because the people on trial were religious people as opposed to the hippies that were the ones arrested during the 68 Democratic National Convention protests. Wikipedia then mentions what happened to the nine, especially Father Daniel Berrigan. Father Daniel Berrigan was convicted and sentenced to prison to begin on April 9, 1970. According to Anke Wessels, director of Cornell's Center for Religion, Ethics, and Social Policy, quote, on the very day he was scheduled to begin his prison term, he left his office keys on his secretary's desk in Annabelle Taylor Hall and disappeared. Cornell marked Berrigan's impending prison imprisonment by conducting a weekend-long America is Hard to Find event on April 17th to 19, 1970, which included a public appearance by the then-fugitive Berrigan before a fifth crowd of 15,000 in Barton Hall. And on August 11, 1970, the FBI found and arrested Berrigan, who was released from prison in 1972. The Nine inspired many other anti-draft and anti-military actions in the 60s and 70s, including the DC-9, Chicago-8, Harrisburg-7, and Camden-28. Participants sometimes remained at the scene to be arrested. Sometimes they departed in order to avoid arrest. It's unknown how many persons were not drafted because of these actions. Incoming this month, Kevin Wynn of Winston-Salem, North Carolina says that he bought the NOM 16, he's really enjoyed it, he's only 14, he thinks he need, they need to devote an issue to what happened back in the U.S. and 
Uh, Doug says C number 26 coming up, number 29, number 32. He says he'd also like to see an issue about what the Viet Cong felt and experienced. Doug says C number 7 and 22. And he says, by the way, I was reading the fine print on the first page of an issue and it said that any similarity between the characters and real people living or dead is purely coincidental. But in many issues, you say that your characters are real people. What about this? And Doug, now he's going to explain the indicia, but it's still worth it. Dear Kevin, that disclaimer, which we call an indicia, is there for legal reasons having to do with libel and illegal trading on names. It is also designed for the superhero titles. A book like the Nam, which depends on real history, much of, it, of its story contact, must and does use real people on occasion. So that's why. So that's the way it really is. That doesn't have a lot of comments this issue, but we'll keep looking at. Um, Mark Fletcher says that uh, you know he's come, become really appreciative for the. Uh, for what he's seen in the story. Bill Keenan says that he's getting more out of this than he has seen in recent documentaries. Duncan Stewart of Lexington, Alabama writes in and says, I'm 17 years old and I recently joined the United States Air Force in the delayed entry program. I've always been supportive of our military and was disgusted by the treatment of Vietnam veterans on their homecoming. I don't think we should have ever gotten involved in that war, but that was a political mistake. Our soldiers just did what they were told to. Any anger toward the war should have been directed against the politicians, not the soldiers. I want to thank you guys for a great comic and for educating the people about an unknown war. I hope I will never have to fight in a war, but I will if I have to. One more thing, I am in process of putting together a collection of stories about the Vietnam War and would appreciate any contributions by veterans. Thanks again, Duncan Stewart. Doug says, veterans, the ball's in your court. Damani Johnson of Los Angeles, California... Uh, says how much he likes the comic, how realistic it was. He wonders what or, whether or not they're going to have um, a tunnel rat issue. And, and Doug comments, yes, we did. Go check out number eight. And then Rich Gripple from Buffalo, New York, says, as an art student, I would like to tell you how great the nom really is. The stories are realistic so much so that I got carried away and went to a local armory surplus store and bought a tro- Tropic Lightning patch for my jacket. Now down to business. I saw an advertisement on the last page of a Marvel issue, Marvel Age issue for the Nom Twenty Four Tet. The art was really awesome. I'd like to see more artwork by R. Wagner as future issues, even in annual. This artwork really reminds me of the good old days when Michael Golden did the art for the Nom. Doug writes, "Dear Rich, Marvel Ron Wagner has worked on several Marvel titles, including GI Joe. As far as for more of his work in the Nom, he'll be penciling most of our covers from now on, and Andy Kubert will be inking them." Nam notes this month, OK Troops, is a long one this time, the longest we've done so far, so listen up and we'll see what's happening. Blooper, the M79 grenade launcher, called so because of the sound it made when fired. Chuck is VC, the army, the enemy, Charlie. DD or Diddy move usually quickly in a way. EOD, explosive ordnance disposal, the guys that got to disarm the booby traps and such like, not one of the great jobs. Going to the woods, was making a patrol. And everyone who's ever read a fairy tale knows that bad things happen in the woods. The Ho Chi Minh Trail was the supply trail that ran from North Vietnam down to the south, named for Old Uncle Ho and the tire sandals the porters wore. Hooch, your barracks, any place you lived. Jody, the fictitious guy back in the States who was taking your job, your girl, and most importantly, your Cadillac. Click is a kilometer. Poop is information, usually official. Repo Depot, concentration area for the new replacements from which they are assigned to new units. Retread, a troop from a previous war, like a tire with new skin. 
The streets, the place in the world where you have to find a job and work, often uncomfortable and unfriendly. Tail end Charlie, last guy in a, in a formation picked to watch the rear who often died there. Top, the first sergeant or top NCO non-commissioned officer in a unit. Uncle Sugar's Uncle Sam. The, a ville is the village, any group of native hooches anywhere in the country, but usually near military bases. WP is white phosphorus, an incendiary carried for the M79. Really nasty stuff as it didn't need air to burn. Ads this month. Once again, we have a lot of repeaters. Uh, we have the Ultra Games ad again. The Top Gun ad this time is running for the remote control uh, motorized plane. We have the same Nintendo ad as far as those uh, handheld games. Our, our, our douchey dork guy with the... Seriously, this guy looks like a tool with the DJ machine is back. The 1943 ad again. Do we have any new ads in this issue? I don't know. I don't think we do. Uh, we have a holiday sale from American Comics. Um, She-Hulk is telling us that all orders received by December 10th will be shipped in time for Christmas. There's a Ghostbusters. I don't know if this is a Ghostbusters comic. It might have been the real Ghostbusters by this time. Uh, let's see. Is there anything? Some <laughs> grab bags that contain valuable comics. An investment bag and a surprise bag. Let's see what we've got. Are we up to 300 on Amazing Spider-Man yet? 300 is $4. Amazing Spider-Man Three hundred is four dollars at this point. I think there was still like a dollar comic when it came out. Fourth printing of the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number one and the fifth printing are going for five dollars and two dollars and two fifty a piece. Fourth printing of that, and then there were those the mini ones, the Donatello, Leonardo, Michelangelo, Raphael one shots that my friends had. I remember those. I remember reading those. Those were those are pretty big deal. Uh, that was. That was the Turtles before they became, like... This was right around the tar- time the Turtles became, like, comic book cartoon characters and action figures and stuff. So these were the old Eastman-Laird ones. Really, really interesting of interesting stuff. East Coast Comics has an ad. Apparently, you can get Millennium for 80 cents an issue, which is 5 cents more than the original cover price. I guess they've got to make a profit somehow. Bullpen Bulletins. Denny O'Neill has uh, was once an editor there. Now, at this point, he is back at DC because he's on the Batman titles by this point. Um, and he just got married to Mary Fran McFarlane. And it, there was an episode of Kevin Smith's Fat Man on Batman. It was like it was a two or three parter where it was an interview with, with uh, Denny O'Neill. And, and he was uh, he talked about about Mary Mary friend. It was a great great interview. You should go check it out. The the game between DC and Marvel's the softball teams was canceled unfortunately and they're tied at one game apiece and chomping at the bit waiting for next year. Uh but they have been busy all summer. They were shooting paintballs and hanging out at Ralph Macchio's pool and did a bunch of races and stuff. Um this whole thing about people in the biz staying in shape. Now they're hungry. <laughs> the profile is on Glenn Hurdling, who is the assistant editor on Spider-Man titles. There's a one page. There's two half-page ads. One's for the Quick Shots uh, joystick thing. The other one is for WrestleMania for the Nintendo Entertainment System and the VCR WrestleMania game board game action plus WWF video excitement. And we have a drawing of Hulk Hogan tearing the tank top. What you gonna do, brother? The same Santa Claus Wolverine Ho 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 Bub subscription ad. 
On the inside cover, we have a new ad for the Epix 500XJ joystick. Um, I remember this one. I think a friend of mine had this, not for the Nintendo by any means, but for the PC, for his um, IBM or or Commodore, probably the Commodore, uh, because I remember this. It was a black, it's a black joystick with an orange, this sort of classic orange, reddish orange um, handle and a button on the side and and stripes. Like, it, it... if anything screams 1980s, like, this is it. It's very, very 80s looking with with the fonts and, and the color scheme and everything. But um, but uh, but I do remember using these whenever I played uh, video games with my friends on their, like, Commodores and stuff. In the back, we still have the Taito ad with Renegade, Sky Shark, Operation Wolf, and Bubble Bobble. So that does it for issue number 28 of the NOM. We have issue number 29 up next. And that will be in a couple of weeks. So until then, take care and thanks for listening. While she was there and all alone, the angels came. Now all I have are memories. You have been listening to In Country, a podcast that covers Marvel Comics The Nom. The Nom and all of the comics associated with it are copyright Marvel Comics. And as this podcast is intended for entertainment purposes, and I make no money off of it, no infringement is intended. Images, clips, and show notes can be found at Pop Culture Affidavit, which you can find at popcultureaffidavit.com. Feedback can be sent to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com and may likely be read on the air as I occasionally do email-centric episodes or segments. Thank you for listening and come back in two weeks for the next chapter in the saga of the Nam. Was just a twig.